We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Today's study is called Trusting God with Your Life. Trusting God with Your Life. In verse 15, reads, Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So at this time in the Bible, the, the Lord has ministered to the tribe of Levi, which family does what? Okay, this family is going to take care of the fence of the tabernacle. This family is going to take care of the laver and the uh, different furnitures of the tabernacle. These ones are going to take care of the house. These ones are going to take care of the mercy seat. And he's assigned all the different duties. And they finally put it all together. And it's together now. And they know what to do. In verse 16 it says, And it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud was taken up above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel, in the place where the cloud settled, the children of Israel would pitch their tents. So the the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night sits on the tabernacle. And when that cloud moves and goes, these guys in the tribe of Levi, okay guys, let's get together, let's go, come on. Everybody did their thing, put, put it away, packed it up started moving on and when it stopped they go okay let's put it back together boom they'd start putting everything back together and have it all set up verse 18 at the command of the lord the children of israel would journey and at the command of the lord they would camp as long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle they remained encamped and when the cloud continued long many days above the tabernacle the children of israel kept the charge of the lord and did not journey So it was, the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped, and according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was, when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey. Whether it be day or by night, or whether the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. So in other words, when the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stayed, they stayed. Verse 22, whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey, but when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped, and at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So understand that The cloud by day and the fire by night is the presence of God over the tabernacle. And when um, God wanted to meet Moses, it would set right on top. Okay, that means come to my office, Moses. And at the same time, when that cloud came up and started to move, the, the Levites would get up right away and all the tribes would get their stuff packed up and they knew it was time to go. So they knew that this cloud, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, was the presence of God among them. You know, and um, a lot of times people, you know, think, you know, I don't feel the presence of God. But if you had in your backyard a pillar of cloud by day or a pillar of fire by night, you, you could really realize that God is with me. I can see him in the backyard. That's his presence. You know, and that would bring a lot of comfort and peace, you know, to know that, hey, you know, the Lord is with me because there's the pillar of, of a fire or there's a pillar of cloud. You would be able to know. And that would be a blessing to be able to see that like they did. That would be a privilege to be able to see God's presence among them, you know. And the people moved with the cloud. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. And when it moved, they, they, they waited but the main part was is they kept the charge of the Lord. In other words, they didn't move 
until the cloud moved. They didn't move on their own. They didn't do their own thing. They only did it when the cloud moved. And also, the cloud was always visible and always discernible. They could always see it. They could always sense it. They could always know it's there. And when it lifted up, they knew it, and they moved. And all this is the typology of the believer. You see, the, the presence of God among the tabernacle, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. This is where the Holy Spirit dwells. And just as powerful as the sight of seeing the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, that now indwells you. That now is with you. And this is all teaching us on how to follow the Lord. When he moves, he moves. When he stays, he stays. And what we should do and follow the Lord with our life and trust him that, that God can lead us. But a lot of times, we don't do that with our life. We think, you know, um, I don't want to go there because this is not what I want to do in my life. And so we won't go where God tells us or we say, I'm tired of waiting for God. I don't want to wait anymore. And we move on our own. Well, a couple of things. First of all, the children of Israel were out in the wilderness and they, at this time, they were out in the wilderness because they had chosen to not believe God. And they were wandering for 40 years until everybody above 20 died off and everybody below 20 didn't because of their unbelief. So God was waiting for the flesh to die off before he moved them into the promised land. And the, that, that itself was a big deal. And secondly, they, could, they didn't know where to go. I mean, they could say, you know what? I'm tired of waiting. I want to go left and see where that leads me. You know? Because the scripture says that they were going to a place they had not known before. That they had not journeyed this way before. So they had no clue which way to go. So they could have gone left if they wanted to. They could have gone right if they wanted to. But would it bring any discernment on where things are supposed to go? No. Would it lead them to the promised land? No. But it was God who was leading. And they knew that. And just like us, you know, we think we know better. We think we can lead our own lives and we can just go. And, and some people even say, you know what, God, this is what I'm going to do. Bless it. In other words, you can come along for the ride, but you can't drive. You know? And... The Lord is the one that knows. The Lord is the one who wants to lead, to show you the way, to, to help you go. But there's the times that he's going to go, and there's the times he's going to wait. Because as it said here, some days it only stayed one day. You know, I can imagine those guys, you know, oh, man, finally done unpacking this thing. Let's go to sleep. The next morning it's moving. Oh, you're kidding. We're going to go right now? All right, let's go, guys. Let's pack it up, you know. And sometimes it would stay a whole year. It would make them wait for a whole year in that one spot. And I'm sure people got unsettled. They got tired of waiting, tired of waiting to see God move. They could have just gone up and said, hey, let's just go do something. I'm just tired of sitting here waiting. You know, like Peter, you know, let's go fishing. You know, because they just got tired of waiting around. You know, but it's about allowing and trusting God to lead your life. That's the full essence of obeying God, whether to go when he says go or to wait. In either place and whatever position you're in, it requires trusting God with your life and letting him lead. Now, we got to know who he is because you have to know who's leading you. You have to know who he is. Just like in baseball, the captain of the team is usually the biggest hitter or the best defensive player, the veteran of the team, you know, and he leads and he inspires the team and they follow him. You know, such as, you know, in football, you know, here's Peyton Manning, the quarterback, the, the you know, the money man. He's the leader of the team. He's going to lead us to our Super Bowl and they'll follow him. 
because they know who he is. They know he's got the talent to take us there, and they know that he's determined, and we want to follow this guy because we know where he's going. Okay? You need to know who's leading. You need to know who the Lord is, who Jesus really is in your life, who he is in the world. You see? So let's take a look at that. First of all, Jesus, and we're going to go over a few attributes that Jesus has, okay? First of all, he's all-powerful. The word is omnipotent. He has all power to do everything. He is almighty, okay? One thing that we try to do, or really gives us a sense of what we don't know, and we try to do is raising the dead. You know, when you have a heart attack and they're, they're quick right there with the defibrillator and they zap you, you know, you can, you can come back. But when God calls your number and you stand before the throne of God, there ain't no defibrillator in the world that's going to keep you out of his hand. You see, when he says, you're done, you're done. But at the same time, to bring someone back to life is a power beyond our imagination. We can't even fathom that kind of power to be able to, to do that. And now we're not just talking science. Okay, we're not just talking, you know, okay, let's give him this medicine or let's use these electrodes. We're talking just speaking it into being. He has that power. That's his almighty power. I don't even have to lift a finger. I'll just say it, and it happens. You see? Scripture says in John eleven forty three through 44, Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he who had died come out bound, hand and foot in grave clothes, with his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. This guy had been dead for four days. And they had said, you know what? Uh, and he said, roll away the stone. They said, uh, you know what? Um, a decomposition happening since he died. And it uh, would be a real bad idea to open that up. It would be a real nasty smell coming out of there. You see? But he knew what he would do. And all he had to do was speak his name. And his spirit went into his body. And any decomposition that was there was gone and this guy came out hopping in his grave clothes that's a power that's beyond our imagination that's almighty that that is like more powerful than any nuclear weapon we could ever think of to give life you know the scripture says that he breathed life into adam he gave life he resurrects the dead that's something that we can't even imagine also, we see in Scripture that nature obeys him. You know, when he was on the boat and the storm kicked up on the Sea of Galilee, you know, he's at the front of the boat and they're panning out the water, panning out the water, panning out the water. And finally they say, Lord, don't you care that we perish? Now, I'm sure those guys didn't, like, wake him up right away. You know, they want to let him rest. They know he's tired, you know. But when the storm got bad, I'm sure they were, like, coming near him, yelling, you know, grab another bucket! You know, maybe he'd wake up, find out what's going on. You know, and then finally they just said, shook him and said, Lord, don't you care that we perish? And then the scripture says in Mark 4:39, Then he rose, arose and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Imagine being in that boat. You're doing everything in your power to stay afloat. You're panning out the water. you got all the guys working hard. And another wave comes in. Another wave comes in. And it's just about to go down. And you're seeing your power has left you helpless. That you have to cry out to Jesus. And, but you don't cry out to him, Lord, please help me. You're like... Don't you care I'm dying here? Don't you ever do that to the Lord? You know? Hello? I'm going through a trial. Don't you see what I'm going through? How come you're not helping me out here? And Jesus woke up and he said, Peace, be still. And everything went quiet and calm. And they're sitting there with their buckets going, Wow. 
This is be above and beyond the power they had to save themselves. And they're in such awe that the scripture says, they said, who is this man? Even the wind and the sea obey him. They, he says it and they do it. And they're standing in awe of him who's in front of them. It's like, wow. And he looks at them and says, where's your faith? But he has that power to command nature itself, to tell it what to do, to stop it. Not because he did some science or threw, you know, an air balloon in the air that exploded that stopped the storm. He just spoke it. He just said it. And it obeyed him. That's how powerful he is. That even nature itself obeys him. Then in scripture it talks about how even the spirits obey him. There was a time when in Matthew or Mark chapter 5 when uh, Jesus went to the Gadarenes that this man appeared before him. They couldn't bind him with chains or anything. He was demon possessed. And he was very powerful and you can hear him in the night screaming in the tombs. And nobody could stop him. Then this, when Jesus came to the shore, the scripture says in verse 6, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. He worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, that by God, that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of him, unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, My name is Legion, for we are many. And in a Roman legion, there's about 2,000 troops. And also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine were feeding near the mountains. And so all the demons begged him, Send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine were about 2,000 and the herd ran down violently down a steep place into the sea and they drowned. So he said, come out of him. Boom. And he was, they were worshiping him. They were face down worshiping him and feared him because he is the shepherd and bishop of souls. He has total command in the spirit realm. And they have to do what he says and they are afraid. The scripture says the devil believes in God. Demons believe in God and they tremble at his presence. They know who he is. They know how powerful he is in the spirit realm. And in the name of Jesus, demons have to leave. So if you're afraid or afraid of the spirit world, hey, the shepherd and bishop of souls is on your side. He is almighty. He is all-powerful. In, in the Bible college right now, I'm teaching cults and comparative religions. And the last class I taught was uh, the New Age movement, where they do channeling, where they um, let a spirit, their spirit guide come in, and they talk to their spirit guide. It, 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 it takes over their body, and it, it talks to them. And they call them spirit guides. You channel your spirit guide. And um, there's... Things like Shirley MacLaine was talking about how uh, Ramtha, her, her spirit guide, possesses this uh, 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 J.D. Knight and little five foot four woman, thin, and face changes, voice lowers, laughing, helping, picks her up and carries her around the room, picks up a 200 pound man like he's really light and the whole thing, and then shares and talks with them. And a lot of what they talk about is... Um, meditating and reincarnation and but nobody ever tests what these spirits say or or question what they say because they see oh this has got to be real this is my spirit guide and, and one guy actually did a study he went to these channeling seminars for five years and interviewed and talked with these people when they were channeling the spirit and he came up to some conclusions that were they're definitely is somebody else here. This is not the same person. 
there is somebody else here that's here. This is another spirit. But he also came to the conclusion that these spirits lie. They tell lies. They're, they're, they'll tell all these things, all these stories. He says, but when I try to talk to them and narrow it down and question, they'll change the subject or they'll leave. And, and, and they just continuously lie. Well, that's, that's what Satan does. He's the father of lies. And when he speaks to us, he lies to us to tempt us, to draw us away from God. He's a chronic liar. It's all he does is lie. And he lies to you. And when you realize that God is almighty and all-powerful and above this spirit world, you have to choose whether I'm going to believe the lies or the truth because the devil will tell you, you can't overcome. You can't overcome addiction. You can't overcome sin. You can't overcome these circumstances in your life. I've got you. You'll never be free. You'll never get free. You'll never get better. He'll lie to you to get you, to tempt you, to, to drive you crazy. And you want to know something? The Bible says that Jesus has overcome the world. The Bible says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And you've got to choose, am I going to believe the Almighty God? Or am I going to believe the liar? Because you struggle in your life because you've been believing the liar. And haven't taken the victory that God has given you. And understand that he is the truth. And you've got to hold on to that because he's almighty even above those spirits who lie to you. You see. Now, he's not only almighty, he's all-knowing. The term is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Jesus knows your thoughts. Now, Satan can't read your mind. Okay? He could put thoughts in your mind, like tempt you, but he cannot read your mind. When you pray out loud, he can you know, hear and like make a strategy based on what he heard, but he can't read your mind. Only God can read your mind, because he's all-knowing. Okay? Matthew chapter 9, verses 3 through 4, And at once some of the scribes within themselves said, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts said, why do you think evil in your thoughts? Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. He could read their minds. He knew their hearts. He knew exactly what they were doing. And the Bible says, you know, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who could know it? I, the Lord, know and search your heart. So God knows what you're thinking. God knows what you need. God is able to give it to you, but maybe you ask for the wrong reason. And God knows, because he knows your heart. He knows what's inside you. He knows that, as the scripture says, you ask, and you ask amiss, because you don't get it, because you ask it just to spend it on your desires. You don't ask according to the will of God. You see? And you, all you want to do is just, you know... God, I need that Ferrari. You don't know how much I need that Ferrari. You know how much ministering I can do by giving people a ride in my Ferrari? Why don't you give me my Ferrari, God? You see? But at the same time, God knows exactly what you need. Exactly where you are. Exactly what's going on in your heart and life. Now remember, the... the the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because God was waiting for the flesh to die off. Remember? When the flesh died off, then he took them into the promised land. And you know, you, you sometimes, you know, that cloud is sitting there waiting for a year. You're like, God, don't you know what's going on in my life? Don't you know what's, what's happening? Like it's some surprise to him, your trial, or what you're going through. But if you really look at what you're going through and you're really wondering why he's taking a year or more to move, you know, you'll see that the flesh is dying off. That all the impatience that you have is all of self and not of the Spirit of God. 
and he's waiting for that to die off. He knows what you need. He knows where you're at. You know, it's no surprise to him. Peter, in John chapter 21, verse 17, when Jesus was telling, you know, he's already betrayed him by denying him three times, and Jesus is telling him, do you love me? And Peter has to say, you know, you know, Lord, you know, I, I, I love you like a brother. He doesn't use agape, you know, self-sacrificial love. He uses, he uses phileo, which means love you like a brother, you know, because he knows he, he's already failed him. And Jesus said to him, do you love me? And Peter grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He answered and said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter acknowledged the fact that he knows everything. You can't teach God anything. He's all-knowing. That means he knows everything of the past, everything of the future, everything of right now. He, he, you can't teach him anything. He knows everything. And he not only knows everything that exists, he knows everything of the probable. Let's say you do turn left instead of follow. He knows exactly where you're going to end up. Or let's say you take off and don't want to follow God. He knows exactly where you're going to end up. He has that knowledge too, even though you haven't even done it. He said, woe to Capernaum, for if the miracles that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have existed to this day. Why? It didn't happen. They were destroyed. But he knows, all-knowing, the probable too. He knows that if these miracles were done there, as a fact, they would still be existing today. So he knows everything. He's not only all-powerful, he knows everything. He knows you've been out of work for 18 months. You're like, God, man, what are you doing? What's going on? It's not news to him. He's waiting for the flesh to die off. He could do it in one day. He could do it in a month. He could do it in a year. But are you willing to wait until the cloud moves? Are you willing to wait till God moves? Are you trying to take things into your own hands? You know how you can tell you're taking things into your own hands? It's when you start stressing out. When you start freaking out, going through anxiety, not knowing what to do, losing sleep. You're never designed to do that. It's, you're just not, you don't have the capacity to handle it. And, and that's why the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He, you weren't designed to carry that. You were designed to give it to the Lord and trust Him with your life. People go into high anxiety, they get into great depression, and that causes dementia. That's why you see some people, they freak out so bad, something snaps and they end up homeless talking to themselves on the street because they just are not physically designed to handle all that anxiety and stress rather than giving it to the Lord. God knows what you're going through. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Does he qualify as a leader, being almighty, being all-knowing, but also he's everywhere? The scripture teaches the, um, the uh, omnipresence of God. The scripture talks about how if I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I go into the, the, the forest, you're there. You're everywhere, God. You're everywhere. There's not a place where you're not at. The scriptures, and not only that, scripture says in John chapter 3, verse 13, about Jesus, Jesus said, No one has ascended into heaven. But he who has come down from heaven, speaking of himself, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Do you grasp what he's saying there? No one has descended, descended from heaven, ascended to heaven, speaking of himself, but, but me. He's saying, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, that's his title, who is in heaven, at this present moment, when he's standing in front of them, he's also in heaven. It means he's everywhere. He's everywhere. One time, Philip, in John chapter 1, verse 45, they came to talk to Philip. Philip came to talk to Nathaniel. 
He says, we have found him whom Moses through the law and the prophets talked about, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, and before this, what he was doing is they had a tradition that when they would go under, <clears throat> when they go to pray, they'd look for a tree because it was shady, you know. And so they would go under a tree, and one of the biggest blossom trees is a fig tree, and they would pray to God under the fig tree. And they would pray, and then he just got done with his praying, and uh, Philip came to him and talked to him, <clears throat> and then he says, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed who has no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree, and I saw you. You were praying to me. That's what he was saying. You were praying to me. So you're praying, and he's watching. He's looking down at him while he's praying. And he knows his heart. And then when he came to him, he says, Hey, there's a guy who has no deceit in his heart. How do you know me? Because when you were under the tree, you were praying to me. And he knew exactly what he said. Because look what else he says. And he said, Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you were the son of God. You were the king of Israel. He couldn't give it high enough praise. Because how could you know this? And right even now, he looks down on you and he knows. Right now, as you pray with your heart, when you're alone and you're crying out to him, he's looking down. Because he can be everywhere. He's omnipresent. That means, because he's omnipresent, that means past, present, and future. That means he can be everywhere and know everything at the same time so that when you pray, that means he can absolutely focus on you like if you were the only person on earth and he's talking to you. That's what that means. When you pray to him, you're the only person talking to him at that moment because he has the capacity to do that. Listening to you intimately, where you're at and what you're going through. He hears you and he knows. And he's with you in the midst of it all. Now, looking at all these qualifications, we can see that he is more than qualified to lead us. You know, if I'm going to look for a leader to teach me football, I'm going to find a hardcore coach who played pro. Or if I'm going to get a batting coach for my son, I'm going to try to get somebody who played pro ball that knows his stuff. Now, if I'm going to walk in life and live this life, there's no better than the person who authored life to lead you. Because this way, you don't know where you're going. You've never been there before. But he has, and he knows everything, and he's able to take care of you. In the obedience part of it, we go when God tells us to go. In Scripture, the Bible talks about Jason, Jake, uh, Caleb and Joshua when they came back, all the ten spies said, you know what, hey, you know, we, it is truly a land filled with milk and honey, and look at all these grapes, and they had to carry one guy on one side of the pole, one guy on the other side of the pole, because this huge cluster of grapes they brought from the land, and they said, but the land's filled with giants, and they have formidable armies, and this, these these nations that they were naming were like today naming the superpowers. Like there's China and there, there's Russia in there. We're nobody. We don't even have a nation yet. And we're going to go fight these guys? You're crazy. And Caleb said, you know what? Let's, let's, let's forget all this. Let's just pack up, go right now, and let's go attack them right now. And the ten spies said, no way. They're too big for us. I mean, we look at ourselves and compare ourselves to them, and we're like grasshoppers in our sight. So we got to be grasshoppers in their sight. And Joshua said, no way. He says, they may be giants, but we'll eat them up. He says, they'll be like bread to us. In other words, we'll eat them up, man. Let's go get them. And they were getting ready to stone and kill them. And God intervened. said, okay, I told you to go. But you were afraid because you looked at your circumstances and where you're at, what's going on, and you got afraid of everything that's going on, and you wanted to go your own way. 
They said, and there were times that they even said, and then this time they even said, let, let, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to the world. Egypt's the type of the world. You know, let's go back to our worldly ways because these things aren't working out. And it's all because they didn't trust God was leading because it called them to sacrifice. I'm following God and they're requiring me to do this. I can't do that. I'm leaving. I remember when I came to the Lord, you know, I was a district manager of a uh, restaurant company and I was putting in 60 to 70 hours a week and, you know, working like a dog. And um, when I came to the Lord, I put in 40 hours and I spent my time at church the whole time, like seven days a week and Bible college and all this other stuff. And uh, they basically told me, you know, hey, you have to choose between your God and your job. And I was put in that spot. And God was calling me to take action. And it was very humbling because after I quit that job, I was a lawnmower and landscaping for the next year and a half. Now, if you know anything about landscaping, the lawnmower spot is the low spot. And you're doing 30 lawns a day, cranking it out from sunup to sundown. I got humbled. But God did a work. And I trusted him. I wanted to let him lead. Okay, God, I don't understand why you're calling me to sacrifice. I don't understand why I'm mowing lawns. But I trust you that you know where you're going. I trust you that you know what you're doing. I'm going to follow you because you told me to go. And this is the direction I'm going to go. And you let God lead. You let God go. Those are the times that you have to trust him to go. And then there's a lot of times we have to trust God in wait. When the cloud just sits there for a year or a month or two months. The scripture commands us to, to um, wait on God's command. The Bible says in Psalm 123 verse 2 it says, Behold, as the eyes of the servant are on the hands of the master and the eyes of the maid on the hands of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Now, in that culture, you sat there in the corner as a servant while everybody came over for dinner and everything. And the master would go like this, clear away the table. You had to be on it. Boom, clear it away. Next course. Boom, you had to be on it. But if you were in the corner and you kind of dozed off and you're like, and he made the signal and you missed it, you were in trouble. Because you missed your master's command. They would sit there intently, focused, ready to move when they saw the hand of the master move. And that's what David's saying here. This is how I watch for you, God, to tell me what to do. I will wait eagerly, focused, and ready to do your will. And when you tell me, I'm going to go. I'm going to see it, and I'm going to go. But problem is, is that waiting is hard. Waiting is real hard. The scripture says in Psalm 69, it says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing, and I've come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dry, and my eyes fail while I wait for my God. You ever feel like that? That sometimes God, it, it feels like God's not hearing you? But you don't turn from God. You don't get angry at God. You cry out to him. That's what David's doing here. He's crying out to God. Because, you know, there's a time where, you know, when we don't want to wait for God, the first thing that happens when we lose that focus, remember how the, the servant is focused and eager and waiting? They're waiting, but they're waiting with the right heart. They're waiting with a servant's heart, ready to move when, when God tells them to move. Okay? They got tired of it. God took them around Edom, and they said, that's enough. We're sick of this. We're going to vote for a leader who's going to lead us back to Egypt. And he'll show us where to go. He'll show us what to do. They got fed up of wandering in the wilderness. And Moses got and Aaron got on their face and they started praying because they were freaked out because they had just been kicked out of leadership and now something else. You know, it was a coup. You know, we're out of here. We're tired of wandering in the wilderness. Forget you. You guys don't know where you're going. We've been wandering for so long. It's only an 11-day journey. 
You think we're going to follow this cloud around all this time? No, we're going back to Egypt. Because they got tired of waiting. And the first thing they did is what? Complain. And when they complained, they said, For there is no food or water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. The manna that was sustaining their life, that was raining down from heaven in a miracle every morning. Man, if I, if I opened my back door and I looked on the lawn and there was all this flour to make bread and tortillas and everything that I wanted to make, and it was just raining down every morning, I'd be blown away. I'd be blown away. This is a miracle. This is coming out of the sky. And it's coming into my backyard so that I can eat. I guarantee you my soul will be pretty settled down because like, I start like, I'm trusting God. The food's going to be there in the morning. You know? And God wanted that because the manna only lasted one day. Except when it was the Sabbath, then it would last the extra day because he didn't want you to work. But only one day. And if you tried to hoard it, it would grow worms and be inevitable, inedible the next day. So God wanted you to get comfortable with him. Depend on him every single day for his provision. And what a miracle it was to rain it down. But they got so used to things. They got so uneasy in their heart. They got so complaining because they couldn't stand their circumstances anymore. They got mad at God, said we're not following anymore. And we hate this worthless bread. The miracle that God gave them, they called it worthless bread. That's to the point of their unbelief. So God sent poisonous snakes to come out of the sand and bite them. You could only live for 24 hours. And so Moses interceded for the people and God told him, make a brass serpent, hold it up, and whoever looks at it will be healed. So he holds it up, tells everybody, look up and you'll be healed. And still 23,000 people died that day because they refused to look up. They refused to look up. All God wanted to do was allow the flesh to die off. They couldn't wait. They couldn't wait. They wanted their time. They had their plan. They knew what they wanted to do. But you know what? You want to go left. You have no clue where you're going. You do not know what holds up ahead in life. I'm making all this money on the stock market. One day, boom, that thing crashes. You're broke. You say, okay, I'm cool. I'm, you know, I, I don't need nothing. I just have my friends in my car. And then, boom, you run into somebody. You total it, and you end up crippled for the rest of your life. You have no clue what life holds up ahead in trials and circumstances and in good and in bad. You think you know, oh, I got this plan, but you have no control over that plan. You don't even know if you're going to have money the next day. You, you know, walking in faith in Christ, what if persecution comes to the church here? Would you stay a believer? Would you still follow the cloud? Or would you want to turn left because it's easier? Because it's not a hardship. Are you going to let God lead your life? Because you really don't have a clue where you're going. But he's been there. He already knows. He's already seen what's ahead of you. And some people are even here. Don't even want to be here. Family brought them. Oh, I have to come to church. But you know what? It's a divine appointment. Because you know the way out. Because God's given you his word. and He's put you here to hear it. And to understand that he loves you. And he is your way out. There's, the Bible says that we were created for God and for his good pleasure. You know what that means? That means, yeah, we're created for God. But it means that nothing makes you more happy or complete in life than when you make God smile. That is the most fulfilling thing you will ever do in your life. I remember when I finally taught for the first time, I was like, I don't want to do anything else in my life. This is it. This is what I want to do forever till the day I die. Because I found what I was made to do. 
And when I do, when I do something to, to, for the Lord, oh, there's nothing more satisfying in my life. And you will pursue drugs like I did until I came to Christ. I was a crack addict. You will pursue a workaholic. You will pursue all these vain things in life, thinking that they will satisfy you. And to this day, they have left you empty. To, and there will not be a day that they won't leave you empty. And the harder you work and the more you pour yourself into it, the bigger vacuum in your soul you will have. And what will it take to wake you up to understand that he knows? He knows the path you're going to go. He's able to help you. He's able to lead you. And he's able to be with you through the whole thing and to see you through. Because all he does is love you. And all he does is wants to take you into the promised land, the land of victory. And your soul will be satisfied every single day you give to him. Because that's what your body, your spirit, your soul is made to do. That's the satisfying part about it. The Bible says he puts eternity in our hearts. Meaning that nothing will fulfill you. Because that emptiness that's in your heart was put there and it's eternal. So that one day he would fill it. He would fill it, but it makes you search. It makes you search for him. But understand that God intends for us to let him lead and deliver us. The scripture says in Psalm 32, verses 6 through 9, For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time that you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. Those waters will not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. And then God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. He's telling you, I'm going to show you the way. Let me lead you. When I say stop, you stop. When I say go, you go. Follow the cloud. Follow the Lord. He says, I will instruct you and I will teach you. He cares about you. This is not about rules and regulations. This is about finding the redeemer of your soul. and Finding completeness and salvation in him. And he says, I will lead you and guide you with my eye. He says, but do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding and must be harnessed with the bit and bridle or else they won't go near you. Don't be stubborn. Figure it out on your own. You have to know the way that you're going doesn't satisfy. And if you have to be brought to the point of complete, utter emptiness, destruction, and brokenness, he won't do it to you. you do it to yourself because you knew better. You know he offered you an out. You knew he wanted to take you and hold you and lead you and bring you into blessing. But you got to follow him. You got to trust him with your life. And he can do that. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those that are called according to his purposes. You may not know why something bad happened in your life. And you may even be bitter at God because it did. Or because somebody was a bad example to you of a Christian and did something wrong to you in your life. You want to know something? Jesus didn't do that to you. And man will always let you down because man makes mistakes. People make mistakes. And sometimes they're sorry for their mistakes. You know, and, and, you know, being a parent, that's me too. You know, kids expect you to be perfect. The only one they hold that perfection standard to is their parents. They don't do it to their friends and they don't do it to their relatives. They only do it to you. You can never do wrong. And if you do, they don't forget it. But I understand through my own life that I'm not perfect. I am forgiven and I can get up and I can follow God and I can grow stronger and I can grow because he gives me strength to grow. 
but they need to be able to see that too. They need to be able to see that change, but you need to allow God to work in your own life. And don't follow your parents. Follow the Lord, because he will never let you down. And maybe you can change your parents' life with your life through the Holy Spirit. But all things work together for good. I know the bad things that happened in my life, the terrible things that my dad did to me and the drugs that I went through and all the garbage that I went through in my life enables me to share with another person that has gone through it. And I am a testimony saying God is real. God can heal your wounded heart. You know how I know? Because he did it to me. And I can look back at God's infinite wisdom and say, Lord, I would never like to go through that again. But I'm thankful that you allowed me to go through it so that I can help somebody else. And that's why God will move in your life. But understand, trust God with your life. He qualifies to lead you. He is much better than you. He knows what's up ahead. You don't. And just winging it is going to get old. Just winging it never provides. Just winging it never satisfies. And all you end up doing is you're like at a, at a dam trying to plug all the holes. And you got your, your feet and you're putting your nose in there trying to plug up all the holes because you just can't. You say, I, I'm okay, I can do this. Okay, I can do that. And sooner or later, it's going to all fall apart. It has to. Because you're never designed to carry it all. Only he was. And when it does, you'll be able to say, here it is, Lord. It's all yours. You lead me. You guide me. Because I'm going to trust you with my life. That'll be the greatest day that ever happened to you. And that'll begin real living. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.